Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Okay, we're in a series called The Core. Before we get started today, I wanted to mention a few things. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about the uh, Hurricane Dor- Doran. We are doing some outreach to uh, the Bahamas. We are actually looking to help one particular island, an island called Manowar Island. Here's a picture of that island. I think we've got some issues, uh, maybe technical issues up here. Okay, so this is an island that is uh, close to my heart. My dear friend Sammy Fisher used to pastor on this island, uh, and he was there for about seven years. Sammy was here about two weeks ago. This circle down here in the corner represents the church that he used to be the pastor of. That church was completely destroyed uh, during the hurricane, and most of the homes on this island were were destroyed. There's a few homes that are remaining. So what we're doing at Bayshore is, from our benevolence ministry, we'll be giving some money. And also, if you would like to donate toward uh, helping Man of War Island, you can do that. All you have to do is put on the bottom of your check. You can do it at the information center anywhere called. Uh, you can just put. Uh, you can just put uh, Bahamas. If you can't spell Bahamas, just put Hurricane. Okay. <laughs> How many are sure you're not sure you can spell Bahamas right now? Okay. So here's what we're doing. Uh, what is going on actually is the the primary needs is not water. They have water. They were able to seal the cisterns. Uh, What they do need, however, is uh, money to ship uh, supplies that are coming uh, out of Texas and Florida. We're actually partnering with uh, Sammy's church, New Covenant Church. So we are going to be providing some funds to get the shipments there. The other thing is, is there's a camp set up in Gainesville, Florida. A lot of the people on, most of the people on this island are homeless. So they're being taken to Gainesville, Florida, and we're going to be helping with that camp there and providing for some of the people there at the camp. The other thing that we're going to be buying is tarps. Tarps are really, really important there. Uh, They need tarps. And the other thing, this is a big thing, they need medicine. Most of the medicine on this island was completely devastated during during the hurricane. So we're going to help provide medicine for this particular island. There's a lot of islands involved, but we thought it would be wise for us to connect with one island that we have a relationship with and try to get more done that way. Uh, So that's the main thing. So any way you'd like to give, there's a potential trip that's planned in November. If you'd like to go down in November, uh, we'll be partnering with the church in Texas to go down and do some relief work there as well. So that's that's just the island. So this is the island that we're going to be helping. So let's pray for this island before I get started this morning. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, God's people coming together Uh, people in Texas and people here in Delaware coming together to support and love the people uh, on Manowar Island. We pray for that church, the people in that church that lost their building uh, this last week. We pray for your grace to help them to rebuild that building. And Lord, may we play a role in helping to erect that building again so people can worship you on that island. So we pray for your blessing on the people that have lost loved ones in this hurricane. We ask your comfort to be with them and your strength to be with them. And we ask your your presence to be with them even when they feel alone. We ask you to take care of them and bless them. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Okay, so this morning we are in part two 
of our series called The Core, Core, and this series is about core values. So last week we talked about what a value is, is a value is like a, a train rail that takes you to your destination. Every organization has to have values. Every organization has to have a vision or objective of what they're trying to accomplish. But the values of an organization are what carry them toward their destination. And we said last week that our primary value uh, is found in statement number one. Our primary objective at Bayshore Community Church is to bring people uh, to church so that they can meet Jesus and they can grow in their faith so that they become like Jesus. So our primary objective at Bayshore Community Church is to bring people to church so that they can meet Jesus and help them grow in their faith so that they can become like Jesus. So we have two components to our vision. The vision is not simply outreach. Outreach is a big part of what we do, but it's reaching people that have either left church, people that have never been to church or kind of given up on church after they went to college, to reach people like that, to bring them to faith in Christ, and then to help them grow in their faith so that they become like Jesus. And so that's our objective. So when we think about what are we trying to do at Bayshore, it all boils down to that particular thing. So we talked last week, one of the things that helps us to accomplish that is relationships. We want to be a church regardless of how big we get. We want to be a relational church where people can connect relationally in small groups and Bible studies. I met someone this morning coming in that was telling me they're real excited about joining the precept Bible study that Joellen leads, uh, Joellen Gay leads, and all excited about growing this fall uh, in their faith. And so this is what we do. We have, we create groups, small groups, where people can build relationships and grow in their faith. And so that's the, the number one value that we talked about. Today, we're going to talk about a tricky value. We're going to talk about finances today. Uh, in this series, we wanted to talk about finances because part of our vision in reaching the community requires that we have high financial commitment to the vision that God has given us. And our church is blessed with so many people who love Jesus and are giving and are very, very committed to financial giving. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And the reason I want to talk about that is I've gotten so many emails and so many calls and so many conversations asking me, Pastor, will you please preach on tithing? I hear that all the time. That's a joke right there. But we're going we're gonna to do that. We're going to talk about giving today and the importance of that because there is a connection between the vision of a church and the commitment that a church has toward giving. Very, very important. So today I want to look at a, a, an unusual text, I think, for giving. This is a, a text that I've never thought of in terms of giving, but I was reading in my devotions a little while back, and I was in the Gospel of Luke, and I read this story, and it's like the Holy Spirit just spoke to me about this story because it helps us to understand get a different viewpoint about giving, what giving and what money is all about. It gives us a little different viewpoint. It's found in Luke chapter 20, verses 9, 9 through 18, and uh, here's how it reads. It's a parable that Jesus told in his ministry. Uh, Luke 20, verse 9 through 18. Uh, Jesus, it says, he went on to tell the people this parable. The word parable is a word uh, to means to throw beside. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story that conveys a deeper truth. Here's what it says. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. 
He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What, the, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, May this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls will be crushed. Now that little parable actually um, is very interesting for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is it talks about a vineyard. Now, when you read about a vineyard in the Bible, uh, particularly the New Testament and the uh, Old Testament as well, a vineyard is a symbol of the nation of Israel, a symbol of the nation of Israel. If you go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7, Israel is described as a vineyard. So in this story, the vineyard is actually a metaphor for the nation of Israel. And so in the story, the Bible says that this tenant who planted the vineyard sent these people to collect the fruit, and they persecuted the people that collected the fruit. Throughout the Old Testament, we have prophets that come to the nation of Israel, come to the vineyard, and the nation of Israel constantly rejects and beats and rejects the prophets that are coming. And finally, Jesus is saying the owner of the vineyard sent his own son. He sent his own son, and his son was, uh, was killed by the people that were taking care of the vineyard. So the story, and then it says basically, what will the owner of that vineyard do? What will the owner of that vineyard do? The owner of that vineyard will come and kill and destroy the people that were tenants of that vineyard. Now, this is very interesting because it speaks to the nation of Israel. What happened in 70 A.D.? 70 A.D., the Romans came and destroyed the, 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 the city of Jerusalem and took uh, the, that whole area captive. So the vineyard story basically is a prophetic story of what's going to happen to Israel because they rejected Jesus. That's the primary meaning of the story. That's not how I'm going to teach the story this morning, but that's the primary meaning. When I was reading this story, I was impressed with a couple things. I was impressed with, first of all, how rich the owner of the vineyard was. He's a rich guy. He's very, very rich. We know he's rich because, number one, he owns land. He owns land. He owns property. Uh, he didn't build this vineyard on somebody else's land. He's a landowner. Did you know that uh, Ted Turner, how many know who Ted Turner is? Ted Turner is the founder of CNN uh, and the cable uh, network here. There's Ted Turner. Regardless of what you think of Ted Turner, Ted Turner's a rich guy. And he owns, how many know how many acres of land he owns. He owns two million acres of land. So he's a rich guy. The guy in the story that plants the vineyard is a rich guy because he owns land. He's a landowner. And we know he's a landowner because, you know, he's planting the vineyard on his land. It's not somebody else's land. If I showed up at your house with a rototiller and uh, just came in your backyard, start till tilling it up, planting the gar gar garden, you'd have something to say to me because it's not my land. But this is his land. He owns the land. It's his land. So he's a rich guy because he owns land. Another thing we know why we know he's rich is because he has servants. He has servants. In those days, if you were poor, you didn't have a servant. You were the servant. He had servants. He had all these servants that he was sending. So we know he's rich because he has servants. We know also that he's rich because he went on a long journey. He's gone for a long time. How many have ever been on a trip and you're starting to run out of money? You have to get home. How many are in that situation? 
This guy's not that way. He's gone for a long time. He can just live abroad. He can eat caviar. He can eat whatever he wants to because he's rich. He's a rich guy. And when the son is sent in the story, they try to kill the son, or they do kill the son in the story because they want to get the inheritance because we know they know he's a rich man. Let me ask you something this morning. Is God poor? Is God rich? God is a rich God. He's a rich God. He's a, there's, when you think about God, uh, God's resources are unlimited. He's a rich God. God makes Bill Gates look like a pauper. God is rich. Say it with me. God is rich. And he's rich in a lot of different ways. The Bible says that he's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Let me, let me read you a great uh, scripture here. I just wanted to read this before I get into some of the main points here. Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, here's what it says. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says this. It says right here, it says verse 4 of chapter 2 of, of Ephesians, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Everybody say rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He's got a lot of mercy. And if, you got, if you're rich, it means you've got a lot of money. And when we talk about God being rich in mercy, it means that God has a lot of mercy. And if you're grateful that God has a lot of mercy, would you say a big amen? I went to Starbucks yesterday, big surprise there. I went to Starbucks, and I went to Georgetown, Starbucks. I was going to do some study there, and I go to the Starbucks in, uh, in uh, Georgetown, and I go up with my, my personal cup. I got all these personal cups. I go up with my personal cup, and I say, I want a bold, uh, tall coffee in my personal cup. See my personal cup? I want a tall, bold coffee. She said, 8.30 in the morning, she said, we don't have any bold coffee. And I thought to myself, that's what you're in the business for, to have coffee, right? She said, will you drink Pike? If I have to, if I have to, Pike is like almost like Wawa coffee. I mean, I want the bold coffee. But she didn't have any bold coffee. She was out of bold coffee. Well, she didn't have any bold coffee. So I got Pike and I drank Pike. And I drank it and poured a little bit of it out and went and got a refill, you know. Hey, the other day I was watching TV and I was sitting there. Have, have you ever noticed how many food commercials are on TV when you're watching TV? You're on a diet and you're watching TV and every other commercial is a food diet. And there's people eating and they're all skinny but they're eating cheesecake. How does that work? So I got thinking, I said, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm watching tennis, I think. And I'm thinking, man, I'd like to have some vanilla Oreo cookies. I'd like to have some vanilla Oreo cookies. I like the vanilla Oreo cookies, the double stuffed kind. And uh, here's a picture of the kind of cookies I like. Now, this is my favorite cookie here. How many of you like the chocolate Oreo? You're the chocolate Oreo people. You guys do not know what's going on at all. This is, this is the cookie to have right here. Double stuffed. And so I'm like salivating, thinking about it. And I went to get, you know, to the, the cookie drawer where we got all the bad food. And I pulled it open. And there, I was staring at this cover. I reached down and I picked it up and it was light. And all the cookies were gone. It was empty. <laughs> Except, except three little outer layers of the cookie, the cookie itself with the, with the icing gone. My grandkids had literally licked the icing <laughs> off of those cookies and all was left. They were living with us until that day and then they're out now. They're homeless. 
Let me tell you something. When you go to God for mercy, the mercy is always there. He always have mercy for you. The Bible says in the book of Lamentations, uh, it says that his mercies are new every morning. I thought about that. Why is God's mercies new every morning? The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies are new every morning. Why are His mercies new every morning? They, they're fresh every morning because every day you need the mercy of God. And God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. God is a God who is rich in mercy. He's rich in wisdom. He's rich in wisdom. There's nothing you ever ask God He doesn't know the answer to. You, it says, uh, oh, the depths of the wisdom of God. It says in James chapter 1, verse 6, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. If you're at a crossroads in life and you don't, want to do, don't know what to do, make sure that you're praying every day, God, give me wisdom, God, give me wisdom, because your insight is limited, but his insight is not limited, and you need to call upon him for wisdom and pray for wisdom every day. One of the guys that impact, impacted my ministry was a guy named Morris Sheets from Dallas, Texas, and he told me, he said, I pray for wisdom every day. And almost every day I try to pray for wisdom because I need wisdom. And, and it says he's rich in wisdom. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in grace. That means he's rich in favor. He has favor toward us. That's the God that we have. But he's also, he's also rich in resources. He's also rich in resources. He's a God who has incredible resources. Let me give you some scriptures to validate that. Here's some interesting things about God's richness and resources. Psalm chapter 50 verse 10. Here's what God says. He said in verse 10 of Psalm 50, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. That's poetic for saying I have incredible wealth. It says, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. And then it says, in, uh, and it says in verse 12, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Listen to this. Verse 12 of Psalm 50, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Say it with me. For the world is mine, and all that's in it. Now, did you know that God owns the world that we live in. Here's a picture of the planet. Here's a picture of the planet we live on. This world, according to the book of Psalms, God owns the world. He owns the world. Here's what it says. Listen to this. It says this in Psalm 24, verse 1. It almost the same thing as Psalm 50, verse 12. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. So when you think about God as an owner, God owns everything. He owns the world. The earth is the Lord's. Say it with me. The earth is the Lord's. One more time. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. That means he owns the world and he owns everything on the world. Now Karen and I... We have an acre of land. How many are you landowners? You're landowners. Some of you have got a bunch of land. You're like Ted Turner. You got all this land. We got an acre of land. I got some land I may inherit one day, and, uh, but I got an acre of land. We love to sit on our, uh, on our porch uh, deck out behind our house and look at our imaginary pool. We sit back there, <laughs> and we just have a good time looking at it. It's a good feeling. 
to have that, you know, that land. That's a good feeling. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, the scriptures say, that the earth is the Lord's, and if the Lord owns the earth, if my land near Parker Point is on the earth, then really God owns my land. I'm just taking care of his land. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. In the story of the parable, the thing is, the guy, the, 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 the landowner, he owned the vineyard, and the people in the vineyard didn't own the vineyard. They were taking care of the vineyard for the person that owned the vineyard. So when you think about resources and when you think about money, you have to, you have to default to the Psalms where Psalm says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now here's, here's, well, here would be an interesting, interesting thing to do. Here, by the way, here's a far side uh, cartoon. Anybody remember Gary Larson? Uh, Gary Larson was one of my favorite uh, people. Uh, I loved, I got, I've got all the Gary Larson uh, cartoons. This is one that I like particularly. You know, he said, at the bottom says, now that should clear some things up here. He begins to write, you know, he paints on everything, the dog, the cat, the shirt, the pants, the door, the house. And just, and I don't know what made his mind think that way. He just like, I want to clear some things up. Let me ask you something. What if we painted on everything that we have in our possession if we painted God's? What if you had a piece of land, and that piece of land, that farm you had, you put down uh, and staked in the, uh, in the ground uh, God's, that it's God's. Say it to me, everything I have ultimately belongs to God. Say it one more time, everything I have ultimately belongs to God. So how I look at my resources, how I look when I was polishing my uh, Toyota Tacoma pickup last Friday. I detailed my car and my truck. I'm just, I'm just so thankful for that truck. But I know God's blessed me with that truck. And I drive in it, and young guys at the intersection kind of lust at my truck, you know. <laughs> I rev it up a little bit. And that puddle jumper you're driving. Anyhow, that's really, if that truck is on the earth, that truck belongs to the Lord because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything on the earth belongs to the Lord. Let me ask you something. Do you own anything that's not on the earth? Just raise your hand right now. Is there anything that you own that is not on the earth? Everything that you own is on the earth. Your bank is on the earth. Your land is on the earth. Your company is on the earth. And so you look at your, uh, your possessions uh, that they are on the earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything therein. And that's, I think, is what's interesting about the story. The irony of the story, the reason I like the parable, is because a man, a rich man, planted a vineyard. He planted the vineyard, and he went away, and he sent servants, his servants, to come to his land to get his fruit, and they didn't give him the fruit. It's ironic. What's ironic about the story is it's, it's his land, it's his vines, he planted the vines, he planted the fruit, it's his, and the irony of the story is it was his and he couldn't get what was his. And here's the thing, uh, there's a little, I think it's uh, statement number three, RJ, uh, about the, the graph, the attitude about giving uh, here it is, resistance toward giving. If when somebody talks to you, a preacher or somebody teaches about giving, 
the resistance toward giving is directly correlated to your understanding of your resources. If you have uh, a, a owner mentality, your resistance is high. In other words, if, if this, this is mine, I work for it, I've done my best and all that, I've worked for it, this is mine. If you have an owner mentality, your resistance will be high. But if you have a stewardship mentality, understanding that God has blessed you, you've worked hard, you've been diligent, you've gone to college, you've done your, your due diligence, and the Bible says he gives us in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, there's a whole good teaching on this, uh, you know, about the Protestant work ethic. Doesn't Proverbs teach that if you work hard, you'll be blessed? Absolutely. If you work hard, the studies show... If you stay in college and you stay working and do what you're supposed to, you're going to make more money over the long run. So those of you that are struggling, you know, want to drop out of school, I'd think twice about that because you're going to make money, more money over the long run. Young lady in uh, Starbucks yesterday from Bayshore came up and talked to me, and she was like, just having a hard time in college. And I said, listen, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta dial it down, and you gotta keep working because there's a great. So working hard, working hard does produce a profit, but it says in Deuteronomy, in fact, put that on the screen, and we'll come back to this. Just hold that and go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. He gave humanity, not the, that verse, the next verse. Uh, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me. What I have, I have because I have worked hard and it's mine and I have worked hard and the other people don't have anything because they haven't worked hard. I've worked hard. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and my hands has produced this wealth for me. What does the next verse say? But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you've made your money by physical labor, uh, God has blessed you with a strong body. And if your body does not have that strength, you lose your ability to make money. God's given you a great mind. Maybe you have a scientific bent and you understand math and science well. God has given you that ability. It came from him. It says in Acts chapter 17, in him you live and move and have your being. So, so this is an important principle. So uh, you, know, you know what it says? Uh, he's given us the, uh, but remember the Lord your God. He's given you the ability. The, the Hebrew word there is an interesting Hebrew word. It means uh, capacity. But it's also used in one weird way. It's used of a chameleon lizard. A chameleon lizard. One time in the book of Leviticus, it's, that word is a chameleon lizard. A chameleon lizard has this unique ability to change colors. God has given you and myself a unique ability to do what we do in order to earn wealth. And if he does not help us, we will not be successful. I want you to just lift, we're, this is not the end of the sermon, so don't get ready to leave. Lift your hand up right now. I want you to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping me to make money over my lifetime. Thank you for my gifts. Thank you for my strength. Thank you for my mind. Thank you for giving me the power to get wealth. And say this with me out loud. Lord, you have given me the power to get wealth. So, Back to the, uh, the little screen there. 
the, where the resistance toward giving, owner mentality equals high resistance. If, I've, if I think it's mine and I've earned it all by myself, I'll have high resistance. Stewardship mentality means that you know God owns it, you're just taking care of it, low resistance to giving. So when I was growing up, uh, my, my grandparents, they had this dog, uh, and it, they got it as a puppy. It was a beagle dog, and uh, I was just a little kid, and I remember as a little kid, couldn't wait to go see the new puppy my grandparents got. It's a little beagle dog, and the dog grew up basically away from adults because my grandparents just lived by themselves, and that dog didn't like kids a whole lot, and the dog had a little bit of an attitude, and the dog was aggressive and mean, and they just pulled the dog, and, and the dog always laid on what you would call the couch. My grandmother called it the Davenport. Anybody ever heard the word Davenport? She said, she'd say to us, don't bother Spot. That's the name of the dog. Don't bother Spot. He's over there on the Davenport. Don't bother Spot. He's over on the Davenport. So, you know, of course, we go over there by the Davenport, and Spot bit every one of us. He bit every one of us. He bit my sister in the eye, right above the eye. Grandparents loved us, but they loved Spot more. They kept Spot, I'm telling you. <laughs> don't bother Spot, he's over there by the Davenport. And I, I just, I can hear my grandmother say, don't go near the Davenport, Spot's over there. The problem with Spot being so aggressive is Spot thought the Davenport was his. And because he thought the Davenport was his, he was aggressive. And sometimes people get aggressive about money. You talk about money, talk about giving, tithing in church. I know pastors, they just like, they have to have a fifth of whiskey before they preach on the tithing. I'm telling you, it's like, I didn't, I didn't plan to say that. That just came right out of my head right there. I don't know where that came from. I have never, where in the world did that come from? I know why. I know why they're nervous because people don't, they get resistance. They're like spot. They're going to bite you when you talk about their money. And we used to hear, I was, I was raised in church where they said, the tithe belongs to the Lord and do not rob man, uh, rob, rob God in Malachi. They would have preached that. They would preach it. And that's the biggest bunch of heresy I've ever heard because the tithe doesn't belong to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. The whole vineyard belongs to the Lord. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. And we just give him a little bit and he lets us keep us the rest of it to take care of us. How good is that? That's a good God right there. And when you understand that you don't own it, but you're just taking care of it. When God taps you on the shoulder and says, I'll give some money to the hurricane relief. Or we had a guy in the church one time, elder in our church, missionary came through. We had a really, really nice van. The Lord spoke to him. I mean, this is the nicest van in the church. I mean, it was in those days, it, would, it wasn't saying a lot, but he had a really nice van. And uh, missionary from Honduras came. The Lord spoke to him in the service, said, I want you to give him your van. And he, gave, he went to, did the title work, gave that missionary a brand new van to travel around. And uh, it wasn't brand new, but it was just like brand new, incredible. And he just knew, this guy was such a giver, this elder in the church. He just knew everything belonged to the Lord. Whatever it was, he had was at his resources. I want to ask a question right now. I want to just, this is an illustration. I want to, I want to see, right now, see, I want, is anybody here willing to give me $100 right now? $100. Just give me $100. $100 bill. Whoa, look at that. Now, let me tell you something. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Wow, $100 bill, and it's like new too, right? Come over here. You know who this is? This is Roberto, right? Your name Roberto? Yes. And you come from Delmar, right? Yes. And you've been wanting to get on stage for a long time, is that right? <laughs> $100 bill? You gave me a $100 bill. Yeah, it's all yours. Well, that is so nice, I'm telling you. What? That is amazing. And you didn't even hesitate. That's amazing. You know, you know why I didn't hesitate. It's 
Because of the service, I gave him the $100 bill. <laughs> ah! I gave him the $100 bill, and he was just holding it for me. And when I asked for it, he gave it. And we had the ushers watching Roberto during the service to make sure he didn't leave. <laughs> Thank you, Roberto. God bless you. I love you. Love you. Give Roberto a hand. Say it with me. What I own, I don't really own. I just take care of it for my father. So when you think about giving, you know, Bayshore, we believe in giving. You know, if you're here and you're a new Christian or you're not a Christian yet, you'll never, you hardly ever hear a sermon like this on Sunday morning because we're about reaching people in the community. But every once in a while we just talk about it because our vision is so passionate about reaching people outside this community is we don't want to just we don't want to just uh you know do church in the old way we want to do church in such a way that is engaging to people and it takes money of people that love jesus to do that different ways you can give base i don't know if we have it on the screen or not but you can give you can give in the basket that came by you can give on the church app let me ask you here this morning how many have the church app you have the church app on your phone Church app, it's so easy to give there. Or you can go to the website and give. A lot of people give. I think we're like 40% of our church gives electronically now. So uh, Bayshore, Rehoboth is probably more like 60 or 70%. Uh, so that's a good way to give. Some people give right out of that. But you know what? You know what it really boils down to? Is the vineyard was being grown. We know from the other passages, this same story is told in Matthew, Mark, that there was a wine press in this vineyard was being made to make wine to give merriment to people's hearts. And they were taking care of a vineyard to make wine to bring joy to people. And what we do at Bayshore is we have a vineyard that we don't own. And we, what we're doing is doing things to help people to get out of their depression, to get out of their hopelessness, and to discover that Jesus is real and Jesus can change their life. And every dollar that you give goes toward that objective. This week, I went to see a dear couple in our church that uh, used to uh, been, a, been a part of church for years and used to come to our church. And uh, when I first came here uh, about November, I think it would be 38 years ago uh, that I came here. And when I first came here, uh, I brought a guitar in the church. And when you bring a guitar in a conservative church, that causes a lot of trouble. And so I had a guitar that I brought up on the stage and people got mad and they, they left. And the lady that played the piano was mad because I had a guitar and I was leading some worship. I loved her worship too, but I was leading some worship too. And so people were leaving and people were squealing their tires on the way out. And they were like, uh, they were, you know, on the way out and they were leaving. And my, you know, Karen and the kids were thinking about leaving. It was really bad. I mean, <laughs> just really, really bad. But there was a couple in the church that were rich farmers in this community. And they have a big farm here in Gumboro. And they stayed. And her, uh, a picture, here's a picture of them. I went to see them this week at the nursing home. They're in the nursing home. This is Connie Daisy, and this is her husband, Morris. Morris's dad, uh, he was the, his dad was the first, his dad died of Parkinson's disease. And he, his dad was the first funeral I ever did. I was 24 years old. And this couple uh, gave to the church, supported the church from their farm assets. They saw their farm as a way to bless the church. Connie was fiercely loyal to me. And if you said something about me around Connie, she, 
she liked, she, she would, she gave you, she gave you a backhand. And uh, I kept her with me all the time. She was amazing. <clears throat> but I went to see them in the nurse home and, and they're sitting there and they love each other. They've been married like forever. And we just talked and I walked out the door and on the way out the door, I thought, you know what? I want to get a picture of Morris and Connie because Morris and Connie represent people who were behind this church years and years ago and gave so that you could find Jesus and you could discover what church could be like. There was a couple that said, this farm is not our farm. This farm belongs to the Lord. And let me just say something. I say this every time I preach on money. There's a new generation coming up. New generation people that don't understand the importance of resources and supporting the, the work of God and the vision of God. We need our millennial people to get the vision that what you have and what you think you have is not yours, but it belongs to the Lord, and we need to be people to give. What we're saying is we need some more people like Morris and Connie. More people like Morris and Connie. Lift your hands to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I thank you that what I have is not mine, it's yours. I thank you, Lord, you've given me the power to get wealth. Lord, we humble ourselves in your presence as we give our resources every week. However we give them, uh, as, as we give them systematically, we recognize that you are the God of the universe who owns the earth we live on. And you own everything on the earth. And we're just taking care of the vineyard. Forgive us for our resistance to giving. Forgive us for our stiff-arming the God of the universe. And so, Lord, we surrender ourselves today and give to you and honor you. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen, amen.